0: NBA fans, welcome into another week of Dropping Dimes. I'm your host, Matt Nost, and the season is slowly drawing to a close. The playoff picture is coming into focus, and to close out this season, apparently players are like, you know what? I'm going for points, baby. I am. It's a scoring onslaught as of late. We've had... So many people go for 50-plus in the past two weeks. It's incredible. Thus far, there have been seven players that have gone for 50-plus in the past two weeks. You've got Kyrie just put up 60 against the Magic which was a franchise record for the Brooklyn Nets and a personal high for himself. He had 41 in the first half. At which point he's on you know a trajectory to to basically match Kobe at that point. And he got pulled with 8 minutes and change left when he had 60 So there's an outside chance that he gets to that 80. It's not inconceivable, um, but I mean, his shooting splits were absolutely fantastic. He went 20 of 31 from the field for a 64.5%, 8 of 12 from 3, 12 of 13 from the line, 6 boards, 4 assists, 4 steals, and a block. That is an absolutely incredible game. He also had a 50 piece just a few games ago where he went 15 of 19 from the field and nine of 12 from three, 11 of 13 from the free throw line, three rebounds, three assists, one steal and one block. And I've watched a decent amount of the nets lately. I wanted to see what it was like once Harden left. I've watched them and the Sixers to see how Harden fit in over there. And then what the nets looked like, uh, you know, post that trade getting, Curry and Drummond and Simmons plus picking up Dragic as a buyout guy. And I got to say, man, when you watch the nets, they're playing with a joy right now that I didn't really see from them throughout a chunk of the season. Now KD has been out for two months and Kyrie has only been a part-time player for, you know, a third of the season or so, maybe a quarter of the season so far. He hadn't been able to play. But 60 and 50, it's like Kyrie is out to prove I am one of the best players in this league. I mean, it's when you shoot going for 50 and you shoot almost 79% from the field, it's only him and Michael Jordan have put up 50 points with a 75% or better field goal percentage. Just the two of them. That's it. But 50 and 60. And then on top of that, KD just went off for 53. They're the first ever teammates to go 50 over, for over 50 on back to back games where one does it and then the other does it. And he's only been back for five games. KD drops 53 in his 50 in his fifth game. The other ones he put up 31, 37, 14, and 25. And the 14 points was when Kyrie put up 50. That's the other thing. To notice is when one of these guys is feeling it, the other one dials back the number of shots and they just feed the hot hand to subvert your own ego in that regard and be like, it's not about me, it's about us, it's about winning, Uh, and it's about being the best team we possibly can. Like, dear God. And it's inching towards New York may or may not lift that mandate in time for the playoffs. There's a lot of pressure now from baseball because the unvaccinated players for the Yankees and Mets won't be able to play in home games. And it's one thing when basically it's just Kyrie. And then it's another where it's going to affect three teams at this point. Um, There's going to be some pressure on the mayor's office to change the mandate, especially if it's been lifted. I mean, Kyrie showed, you know, basically how the law doesn't make a tremendous amount of sense. And I am, as you know, on the show, I'm pro-vaccine. I'm vaccinated myself. But Kyrie was able to buy a ticket and sit courtside without a mask, unvaccinated. And that is not in violation of law. But if he crosses the out-of-bounds line and goes onto the court, he cannot. And I understand why they have it in place. Uh, At least the thinking up until this point, but I'm not advocating. I don't know what side of the issue, because I don't know the ramifications of the the basically what's going on in New York. So I'm not going to discuss that. I don't live there. I don't deal with it, and I don't follow it. So I don't have an opinion. But those two. If they can just trade that back and forth, suddenly, I mean, if if they end up in the, well, they'll end up in the play-in game more than likely, unless things go catastrophically wrong for a couple other teams. Um, but they'll be playing. They win that. Well, if as it stands right now, they play Toronto in Toronto, which Kyrie cannot play there. So if they win that one they go on to take Milwaukee in the first round, but if they lose that game and win the second game, then they take on Miami. And that is a problem for either team. Um, even with Miami's depth, I think Milwaukee having slayed that dragon last year might go in with a little bit more confidence than say Miami does, but Miami's got depth, but those two are just flat going off and they're not alone. Cat just dropped 60 on the two-year anniversary of his mother's passing, and he puts up 60. LeBron has a 56 and a 50. And the worst part for LeBron is those are the only two games the Lakers have won since the All-Star game. They're 2-8. and So unless he scores 50 right now, that team has zero chance of winning a game, apparently. And when you watch them, I mean, they just look, lazy and uh lethargic uh checked out like they don't give a shit about being there and lebron seems mostly dialed in there are plays there are times where he you know doesn't get back on defense but given everything that they're asking of him i don't fault him for it he's 37 he's got so many miles why is he playing harder than these 20 year olds on his team and yet when you watch them sometimes it's like yeah 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 they're getting outboarded constantly because guys are flat-footed on the ground just kind of watching the ball go you're like what is going on here this doesn't make any sense you most of you guys are on minimums and you're playing for a contract after the season how are you not motivated to bust your ass on top of that you play for the league's marquee team with the generational star that more than likely all of you grew up idolizing And how is motivation a problem at this point? I don't know. Tatum has a 54. So there's your technically the seven games um, spread over, you know. Let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six. There should be a seventh. I can't. I only wrote down six. I don't know who the seventh was. Um, Hold on. I saved an infographic. The other one was, oh, it's LeBron's two and Kyrie's two. That's why I'm only coming up with. uh, Anyway, and then Draymond's first trip back to the Warriors. And Steph has 47. And he checked out with time to go. So he could have gone for 50 as well. What's interesting about that game is 41 of those points of the 47 came with Draymond on the court. So it's a testament to how much of an influence he can have on the offense because his stat line was a typical Draymond. They were all singles. It was single digit points, rebounds and assists, but the fluidity that he gives them because they don't have a point guard, a traditional point guard otherwise. And he acts as a fulcrum in the offense as guys pivot and screen and run around the action, uh, kind of twirls around Draymond and he assesses and finds the best matchups, the best way. I mean, and a lot of that is after Steph runs around his second screen, gets Steph the ball, but it's knowing when to make those passes and when to try and pick apart the defense. Uh, And the first time in over a thousand days that Steph, Dre and clay have played together. And if they look like this, it was against the wizards. Uh, and meanwhile, the Wizards, you know, they're still trying to find their footing. Beal is out. KCP has been playing well as of late. There's, they have something intriguing for the future, um, but they're, they're not a formidable talent. It's like people crowing about how well Harden and, and Bede were doing when they first got together and be like, yeah, but look at the competition they're going up against. Whereas I watched that Brooklyn Sixers game and there's real competition and they got smoked straight up smoked it should be that Embiid has a distinct advantage over you because you're asking you know Drummond and Aldridge to be able to stop an MVP caliber player and while they didn't necessarily do that Harden looked checked out and KD in the post game presser said well we noticed that they're slow on transition defense, so we just wanted to push the pace at all times. And I'll be damned if it didn't look like that was working consistently over and over and over again. Um and I also watched like the uh the Denver Sixers, the matchup of the MVP front runners. And technically on paper, Embiid won that matchup. But uh if you're watching the game itself, it's like Jokic Jokic is the focus of a lot of the action of what Denver is able to do, plus what helped, on some level, Denver get back into this game. Although Bones Highland, it was the Bones Highland game. He just kept making three after three. Um, I remember he made two back-to-back, and he went up for a third heat check and missed it, and then I think he made the one right after that. So it was like a pure Bones Highland uh, discussion. I mean, the nets are going to be a real problem for somebody before we venture off into that discussion. I was thinking about, so if 50 is the new trend, who else, who's looking at these box scores and going, I need to go for 50. I got to go for 50. I got to add my name to this list of luminaries. First and foremost, I think the next most likely candidate is Trey Young. I think Trey's going to see that and be like, I can put up 50. I got zero problem putting up 50. Um, Donovan Mitchell, I think there's a chance. Luca, I think there's a chance. Booker with CP3 out, I think there's definitely a chance. And then the sneaky outside uh, the box one um, would be Fred Van Vliet, but I I don't think that'll happen. Um, you know he's not playing right now, so. But I think Trey Young is the most, the next most likely individual to join this pantheon. But anyway, to get to the playoffs as they figure in right now. So if everything is static and stays the same. In the East, you'd have we'll do the middle that aren't going to uh, change. So four or five would be, uh, Chicago and Boston. So Chicago has home court three, six is Philly Cleveland. Um, Although I think Cleveland is going to drop down to the seven and in Toronto is going to vault up to the eight or pardon me, up to the six. Um, And hypothetically, if everything closes right for Brooklyn, they could end up taking the seventh and Cleveland dropping down to eight. But I think that's as far as that shift goes. Uh, But Cleveland dropping down to the seventh seems kind of a fait accompli at this point. Although Jared Allen is projected to come back. He has a fracture in one of his fingers, and he's not going to get surgery. Uh, They're going to try and just let it heal on its own or as best they can. And the hope is that he comes back at the end of the regular season into the playoffs. Um, But they've had so many injuries, and they're such a young team that it's kind of getting a little bit gassed towards this section of the season right now you know you're asking a lot of mobley who's a rook and uh darius garland once sexton goes down and then rubio which is like this is foisting a lot onto his shoulders uh then when jared allen goes down which is the linchpin of your defense there's a lot of up and down and turmoil so they have a one game lead right now on toronto and i think that's a tenuous hold on the sixth position. So more than likely, I think it's going to be Philly and Toronto with Philly having the home court advantage. Although I don't suspect my Bulls are going to hold on to uh, four at this point. Maybe. But we have the hardest strength to schedule to close out the season. So the likelihood of that is uh, it's not as high as others. But on those play-in games, so if we think Cleveland is going to shift down so it'd be Cleveland and Brooklyn in the 7-8, and then the 9-10 would be Atlanta and Charlotte. So Brooklyn wins. Say they win that, then they go on and take Milwaukee, and it's Milwaukee and Brooklyn as the 2-7 matchup. Otherwise, if we assume Brooklyn somehow loses that game and then but wins against Atlanta or and or, pardon me, or Charlotte, they would go on to take Miami. That's, I mean, those are whoever ends up with the Brooklyn poison pill. You feel bad for. Cause it's not like if, if it's Toronto as of right now, Toronto is going to be a tough out for any of them. But I think it's a much better matchup for Miami, Milwaukee, um, especially for Miami, just because they have the depth and intensity to match Toronto. What Toronto does, Miami does. Um, and I think they just do it a little bit better. Whereas if Cleveland drops down the one or the two would be happy to play Cleveland. I think Toronto and Brooklyn, as it stands, nobody really wants a piece of them, uh, especially Brooklyn, but on the flip side in the West. So the four or five right now is Utah and Dallas with Utah having home court advantage. And the three, six is golden state and Denver uh with Golden State having home court advantage. Now if I'm Golden State, I do not want Denver in my first round matchup because basically you're saying Kavon Looney, we need you to play 34 36 minutes every night. Unless we're really anticipating James Wiseman coming into this and just being fouls to try and slow down Jokic, but they don't have an answer for Jokic. And right now uh Michael Porter Jr. is looks like he's going to be back next week. And Jamal Murray just got sent to the G League team to get some reps. Um, And there's a world in which he makes it back at the end of the regular season. And suddenly Denver goes from all these guys that are really interesting, but we don't know what they're going to give us in the playoffs to – you're getting one exceptionally proven player back in the playoffs and Jamal Murray, who's going to have some rust on him. He's not going to be the same, but you will get flashes. And then Michael Porter Jr., um, who's also stepped up in relatively big moments. He also withered on the vine a little bit once Jamal Murray went down with injury in the bubble, but he was a, he was a rook at the time and uh, you know picked up his scoring pace a little bit, but he's also had the maturation of another almost two full seasons since then so if i'm golden state i want dallas i want utah um and i don't know that memphis is going to relinquish that two seed so you would need to drop down to the four-ish range or start rooting for denver and get them up to the five, which they're what a game and a half back of Dallas right now in that five, but I mean it's there's those are there's already a bunch of great matchups, like these playoffs are should be fantastic because I don't know who's gonna win. I mean Phoenix win healthy is the best team by a mile this regular season, and it, Guessing it translates to the playoffs because they've already proven that they can get to the finals. And then when you turn around in that next year, you're playing this lights out where in a best of seven game series, it's going to be difficult for any team to upset you. Outside of Phoenix, I don't know who, like, I don't know who in the East is making it out. If the New York mandate gets lifted, and so long as Brooklyn doesn't have to play in Toronto, Brooklyn's going to be brutal. Boston right now is playing as well as anybody. They're going to be difficult. Philly, maybe these early hiccups um, aren't a sign of the times as to where they're going to be. Although I, I'm i not a buyer. I think I said it on last week's show. Um, free throws dry up in the playoffs. And I think so far since they picked up James Harden, the MVP on that team has been the charity stripe that has been their best player has been the referees and the charity stripe hands down. So once free throws dry up and say, you're getting 25 to 33%. So quarter to a third, less free throws a game. Well, considering you have two guys that live at the line, you're going to have to make up for that offensive output somewhere. And it looks like Tobias Harris is shrinking from the moment. Um, losing Steph Curry really hurts them as far as offensive punch. Matisse Thibel teams are just daring him to shoot. And he's got to do it to keep him honest. But I don't know if you're expecting Danny Green to jump in here. Tyrese Maxey, I think, is the wild card. He could step up and get those extra shots in and make them. Guy plays with the fearlessness. that's really fun to watch. But I'm not buying it for Philly. Um, Milwaukee, I could easily see doing this. Miami could prove us all wrong because nobody that I know of is picking Miami to make it out of the East, and they're number one right now. They've got a nice, comfortable lead and yet I don't know a single person outside of Miami fans that are like, it's Miami. Miami's going to win the East and win it all. I have not heard a single person that I know or pundit or anyone else select Miami as their odds-on favorite as of right now. Um, And then the play-in game in the West on the flip side, 9 and 10 are locked. It's the Lakers and Pelicans in some order. The Lakers have a one and a half game lead right now. And I don't see them relinquishing that anytime soon. Um, And more than likely Minnesota and the Clippers, the Clippers are going to stay in that eighth spot unless they just go on a full on, you know, devastation of the league. Don't lose a single game to close out and Minnesota plays roughly with the ball they're playing right now, they might be able to catch them, but I sincerely doubt it. So you got Clippers at 8 and there could be some fluctuation in that 7 uh cuz Minnesota's at 40 and 30 and what they're only what a game and a half back of Denver. So you could shift that, but the reason I bring a lot of that up is I think we need to have a discussion about fixing the play-in game. As it stands right now, in the East, the Raptors in seventh position have a four-game lead over ninth place Atlanta and and four-and-a-half over Charlotte. And Brooklyn just has a a one-and-a-half game lead over Atlanta and a two-game lead over 10th place Charlotte. I think that's right within the realm of the play-in game is still viable. I think four games to five games is right around the cutoff. Because if a team in seventh and eighth has a massive cushion to where it's not even fucking close, then why in the world are we doing this outside of revenue and to potentially get more stars into the quote unquote playoffs I realize it's about money, but you could end up with a really shitty team getting hot for two games, and then suddenly we have to act like they earned this playoff spot and I'm really looking at the West so in the West, Minnesota has a ten game lead, ten games over the Lakers, and eleven and a half over the 10th place Pelicans. 10 and 11 and a half. The Clippers have a five and a half game lead over the Lakers and seven over the Pelicans. Five and a half is close. It's within the realm of, okay. And it. I think part of the reason that I, I, I don't blanch at the five and a half because I just said four to five should be roughly the cutoff. a it's within a half game of that and b the clippers are just above 500 so it's not like they're a juggernaut whereas minnesota is 10 games over 500 they're 40 and 30 they're clearly a better team the lakers are 29 and 39 they are 10 games under 500 it's ridiculous the pelicans are 12 games under 500 or probably 13 or 28 and 41. So how is it that we're going to have a world in which if the Lakers or the Pelicans get hot enough and they happen to win two, two games, they're suddenly going to be in a one eight matchup and they're going to get smoked. How is that a better product when a team, I think it's, There needs to be a certain number of games for the play-in game to be triggered. Whether it's four to five, I would also put on a stipulation on there that your team has to be 500 or better to even qualify. But there are seasons in which, in previous ones, the eighth in the East was sub-500 and they made it in. So I don't think the league would ever uh, agree to that. Just because they're very easily, if we're gonna keep the play in tournament, and I think we should overall because it adds excitement, um, there are gonna be seasons where eight, nine, and ten, or possibly even seven, eight, nine, and ten, are all below five hundred or right at five hundred. So if you're gonna do that as a okay, we're gonna cleave off and not do the play in game for that side, um, there's really no difference between them and seven and eight at that point. But I think when, you know, Minnesota has earned the right at 10 games over 500 to just supersede all of this and the Clippers at five and a half games better, you could say is right on that threshold and they only have to play one game and make it like a back to back. So the 9-10 has to play one night, and then the next night they have to play the 8. And the 7-8 game doesn't need to happen because Minnesota's up by so much that they could just... They move on. Their matchup against uh, the Grizzlies is set right now, and we're just trying to figure out who that 8 is. Because um, then on the back-to-back, it gives an advantage to the Clippers. They've earned that right, or whoever the 8th you know seed would be at that point. And it makes the 9-10... Really earn it. If you're going to do this, you need to prove it. But I just think with a a 10-game lead, Minnesota's 15 and a half games out of first place, and the Lakers, two positions behind them. Two positions are 25 and a half games back. I mean, the difference between 7 and 9 is this still more than the difference between 9 and 14, which is OKC. They're 34 and a half games back. The the Rockets are dead last at 37 and a half, which is 12 games back of the Lakers. But that's how wide a chasm the T-Wolves have built up. And I realize the NBA wants to get LeBron and the Lakers into the playoffs. It's good for ratings. It's good for discussion talking heads. Everybody will make hay of this. It'll get extra traction on social media. I get it. I just think you're rewarding the wrong things at that point. But money wins out. The play-in tournament will continue. And I don't imagine they're going to make a tweak to that. But dear God, when you're just looking at that, and what if Minnesota just has two bad nights? And now suddenly, something they've been striving for for years, to be relevant, to be in the playoffs, to try and build a winner there is just swept right underneath the rug because of the playing game. I, I don't know. I think if there's enough of an uproar or something were to transpire where a lesser team wins those two games and then gets absolutely crushed in the first round, and swept, and all four games aren't even close, then perhaps the league will reevaluate how this is done. But as of right now, I think money's too good. It adds an extra level of intrigue to the overall playoff structure, and the the league is not going to mess with this in any way, shape, or form. Um, And I'm all for innovation. I love the idea of this play-in game. I've liked it ever since they instituted it. It adds excitement to otherwise meaningless games, and it reduces the incentive for certain teams to tank. It it lessens the number of bottoming teams and forces, like, look at this year's trade deadline. So many teams were in the mix because, like, look, we can make a play-in game, and we get to the play-in game that anything is possible. Now, this isn't the NFL where... If you can make it into the wild card and you get hot at the right time, you can win a handful of straight games and make yourself into the Super Bowl. Just and The NBA is not designed for that. Once they shifted from best of five series to best of seven, they, they were doing their damnedest to ensure that the higher-seeded team, the better team, wins. Um, And also more money. But part of that motivation was we don't want to see teams potentially on their ascendancy get shuffled out of the playoffs too early when we've kind of built storylines around these players. Um, and considering it's a star driven league, I'm fully understanding of the motivation. It just, sometimes the cash grab can dilute the product and hurt the fan experience. And that'll have long-term ramifications for just the public at large. It's like, uh, you know, if they don't watch themselves, players could really bite themselves in the ass as a collective unit by signing these Supermax extensions and then demanding trades. So you're going to alienate fan base after fan base, and eventually you're going to alienate them right out of not watching the league anymore it's possible just why in gender. and i realize players your career is finite and i'm all for you getting paid every last cent that you can because you're the ones that generate all the entertainment and spectacle in the sport um but the public nature is uh fickle and so is their affection and the owner is usually pretty faceless whereas players are front and center and everybody knows who they are. So it's easier to affix a problem to them because you can visualize who they are without having to see a picture or understand. Whereas if you said the owner of probably 24, 25 of the teams person in that city cannot visualize who that person is, whereas they could tell you who the star of the team is. And if that star demanded a trade out versus the owner being stingy, Looking at you, Sarver, I can't imagine most Phoenix fans know what Sarver looks like. Maybe they do. Uh, it is their team, but I guess maybe the rest of the NBA, when they read this story, the owner uh, not wanting to pay like an Aiton. And, uh, you know, I don't necessarily fault him for that. The game is shying away from bigs, uh, but Aiton is young and he's talented and you did take him first overall. So doesn't mean you can't sign him too the extension and then trade him afterwards. But anyway, I think the play in game, we shouldn't just settle for what we have continue to change, innovate, you know, futz with use the G league as the testing ground, which they have done and intend to keep doing. Um. You know, I think next thing that, silver wants to do is get that midseason tournament going. Uh I'm not entirely sure what that is for outside of it works in soccer, so he wants to bring something like that to the NBA. Um maybe it will. I don't see the benefit for the players. There's got to be some sort of added bonus there, but the fact that the league is not going to stagnate and just rest on its laurels Uh, is a good thing. Um, all right. So that's all I had planned for today. I'm going to break over into the chat. See how everybody's doing. Jeremy Bauer says it's a lovely day for basketball talk. That it is, sir. That it is a mild mannered comic nerd says, yeah, I'm interested to see what happens with the nets this year. They've become the most intriguing team over the past week. It looked like it was going to be the Net, or the Sixers for the public at large, but I think the Nets have stolen that thunder. Um, and when it's cooking, you have Durant, who's pretty much impossible to defend, and now you're throwing Kyrie playing the best basketball he's played in a long, long time, if not of his life. And then you add in all the stuff, all the other players that they have, like Patty Mills I'm a big fan of, the pickup of Dragic is – Really nice to have another ball handler out there and somebody that can play make. Uh Seth Curry does not leave the ball in his hands and can shoot lights out. If you get Ben Simmons back, put him in the dunker spot on offense, but then now on defense, you have somebody who can guard pretty much anybody outside of your most stout centers. Um, you know, depending on what lineups they go through, they could have defensive matchup problems with the right certain teams, but Every team's got its faults, you know? So they become really interesting. Steven Salas says, Celtics, baby, let's go. Look, Celtics are, you could sell me on a world where they make it out of the East right now. I didn't. After 20, 30 games, I was like, ah, shit. Is this finally the year they break up these two? because you don't want this to turn into a C.J. and Dame situation where they could have sold even higher on C.J. previously. And they still got, I guess, a nice return. Um, But a player of his caliber, I don't think they got quite what they could have maybe a season or two ago. So you're staring at it going, shit, they're going to have to break these up. So Jalen Brown is going to be somewhere else because they're not going to give up on Tatum. And, uh, since then it's a lot of like, well, you know, what the nets have going for him. If somebody has got the hot hand, they feed that. And when I've watched them, which I haven't watched that many games as of late, you know, I told I watched to that nets game and I've watched a handful of others over the past few weeks. Um, they're not, They're switching on defense. They're pretty tenacious there. Uh, Time Lord has stayed healthy, but he's gotten smarter on defense. And they seem to ISO less, which, given the fluidity of modern basketball, uh, it's a wise decision to try and ping the ball around and get more guys involved. I mean, Marcus Smart was probably right. I liked it at the time. He got dragged for his take, but I agreed with him. Um, so Jeremy Bauer says he sees Steph going for 50 next entirely possible. I just think Trey sees the other players do it and is motivated by that fact of, I want my name in the same breath as those guys, whereas Steph already knows his name is there. So I don't think he has the direct motivation to go out and get 50, but you're not wrong. Steph is in that mix as well. And Jeremy also says he's happy to see Caruso back. I love it. The first game he comes back. It's the first time we've held any team under a hundred points since he left. It's what it's what's upset me about watching the Bulls since him and Lonzo have been out. It's like our defense is beyond porous we we our only hope is to score more points because we're not gonna to stop anyone, but Lonzo is projected to come back and Pat Williams is projected to come back as well. So suddenly our defense is going to take a nice kick in the ass, and uh, you couple that with DeRozan and Levine, if we can get back to full health, suddenly we're a real problem. God, it's been so long since I've had a a Bulls team to give a shit about. It's fantastic. Um, Steven Salas says, Philly's so overrated they're losing the first round against whoever they play. Bet on it. I would say that, but I also said at the beginning of the season, their over-under was too high, and I'm pretty sure they're going to hit their over-under. So, and I know a few people that messaged me after I did my preview show and said, I took your advice and I bet against Philly's over, and now I feel bad. I st- I mean, I stand by the statements I said at the time where they're going to have to deal with the turmoil. And they started the season, they looked like shit. And I I was happy with myself at the time going, I fucking know it. I know it. And then they've uh, rounded a corner and Yoke just, I'm not Yoke, pardon me, probably b to stay predominantly healthy. And uh, well, when you have somebody that good out there for the season, they're going to be a tough out. Um, TJ Martino says, Doc has got to go. We shall see. JMB says he feels that way about the new uh, NFL playoff format. I'm guessing that's in regards to the uh, play in game. Um, Yuri McGarley says, I bet LeBron isn't complaining about the play in tournament anymore. No, I don't think he is. Uh, his statement was, and I could be getting this, uh, wrong. He's against it. or at least he wasn't on its inception, but it's, I believe the quote is whoever came up with this should have been shot. I could be wrong. And I don't want to put words in the man's mouth, especially once you use that kind of verbiage, but, Um, yeah, he's got a, I mean, his team should be on the outside looking in when you're that down by that many games, five and a half, those with the Clippers is still plausible, but the fact that he's going to be in playoff mix, it all hinges upon is Davis going to be there. And then there's the Davis quote of. Well, Phoenix knows, had I been healthy, we would have won that series. And be like, okay. I could also make the case of if the league didn't have to cease operations for a couple months, you guys don't win in the bubble because LeBron doesn't get that rest right in the middle of the season that he used to have to take off from his teams when he was with the Cavs and going down to Miami for a while uh, just to get a little respite during the season. So suddenly he comes in and he's got fresh legs at 35 years of age makes a hell of a difference. So the, you know, you can play the, if this had happened, that would have happened all day long. I think the biggest if for you is if Anthony Davis can actually play a full season, the Lakers would not be in this situation. Yeah. I think that's the case. Um, still upsets me that he made the top 75. I don't think he's a top 75. Does he have all the talent in the world to be top 75? Yes. Has he given us a proven track record of being in that inclusion when you keep someone like Dwight Howard out? Which, of the two, I think Anthony would be much more fun to hang out with and is a better player on paper. But Dwight, just like he was in the MVP discussion, defensive player of the year, year on end, led a team where he was the central figure to the finals it's like his resume on paper is stronger. Um, just Anthony Davis, if healthy, is better. Um, so a little, little inner chat discussion. Professor knows, uh, Professor Rhino says, Love you, Nose. Thank you, sir. Um, So Yuri McGarley says, I can't wait for the playoffs to start. The regular season is pretty much set already. It's close. There's going to be certain fluctuations, but top sixes are not fully locked. You know, Cleveland could drop down to the, should drop down to the seven and Toronto vaults upward, but one through five ish in the East is probably set and one through Five to possibly six in the West is set as well. You know, Minnesota still has to make up a game and a half. It's, it's possible, but Denver's also playing good basketball, and they're right above them. The biggest would be Golden State, but they just got Draymond back, and Golden State would have to lose quite a few games to drop anywhere out of the top six. So, yeah, those top five in the East, top six are pretty much set. So we have a good idea of what's going on there, and it's going to be fleshing out the play-in game after that. I agree, though. I am fully ready for that. And uh, my wife is already dreading when it starts because it is basketball time every night. I am watching games nonstop for months. I love it. And, you know, knowing there's a finite amount, it doesn't bother me that there's, oh, there's, you've got, you know, Five hours of basketball to watch tonight. It's like, ah, you know, I got five hours of basketball to watch tonight. That's pretty sweet. Looking forward to it. Um, And having that every night. Yeah, I can't wait. Uh, Jay Cleveland, do you like winning time? Yeah, it's awesome. And I love that it's once a week. Something to look forward to instead of just getting all the episodes at once, uh, which is really easy to burn through those. Something like winning time. To stretch it out, I realized the characterization of uh Jerry West so far has not been uh jibing with other people's uh recollections of the man at the time. Basically, that he wasn't as uh excitable as he's shown. Was he depressed and withdrawn and sullen? Yeah, it's part of it. We and competitive as hell and other things. But the flying off the handle, throwing his trophy through windows and whatnot, uh, apparently that might not be fully accurate. But they do put a big fat disclaimer on the first episode and be like, this is a dramatization. We have fictionalized certain aspects of this uh, basically just to make a more compelling story. Which, of course, they did. I mean, how do you know the dialogue said between people unless they give you direct quotes? But. Yeah, it's it's pretty fantastic. Jay Cleveland says, how do you see my jazz versus your Bulls going tonight? Well, first off, it's in Utah. So you got to like that for Utah. Will make a difference um, going into it. Utah has played... Pretty good basketball as of late. Not excellent. Not bad. Um, But I think with Caruso back, I don't know. I actually like us tonight. It's on the road. I realize that. But I think, you know, we might be able to give you a nice little punch. and i will take it to you tonight a little bit, I think it's entirely possible, and we've had uh, we both had the same amount of rest, although we are on a road trip, so that would make a difference um but yeah i'm gonna take i'm gonna take my bull- i'm gonna believe in my bulls and take them tonight um So TJ Martino says, Doc wasting that one time out and blowing his billionth lead of his career in Philly. I didn't like when he was hired, and he's been worse than ever could have been imagined. Promote Sam Cassell. I don't, I mean, depending on how the season goes, Doc's is probably on the hot seat. You're not wrong. But, and Philly fans have been exceedingly patient with this team. Amazingly, hence the booing of Ben Simmons coming back in because they had put so much of their hopes into the process and drafting high draft picks and setting the franchise's fortunes with these young players, and it's worked. They went from the worst to a team in title contention, and now they have two, I'd say two top 15 to 20 guys Embiid is top 10 depending on how you want to, to lay it out. Top five. Um, you know, just because he's in the MVP discussion doesn't automatically mean he's top five in the league. Cause there are a number of players I would take over Embiid. If I need to win, you know, one game or a series, a championship, or starting my uh, my team today, who would I take? Uh, different metrics by which, you know, you make those different lists. But he's top 10, undoubtedly. Um, But yeah, I don't – Doc's fine for now. It really comes down to the playoffs. Uh, Rob Snark, I'm guessing Rob coming in late to the chat, asks a question uh, that I answered a little bit earlier. He said, do you think the Raptors pass the Cavs for the sixth spot? Yes, I do. Because the Cavs are in injury turmoil once again. And I think right now the Raptors are playing just tenacious basketball. That opening quarter of the Lakers, they got up to a huge lead, and they did it on pure hustle. They are just out defensing the Lakers. Throughout that. I realize that's not really a word, but it's all the different things that you do on defense, which just comes down to effort. Usually, it's do you want it more than the other guy? And the Raptors showed time and again, yeah, yeah, we're coming to kick your ass. I still don't believe if Siakam is your number one, that your team ceiling is that high. Um, to me, when I watch him, it's like I you can pretty much guess what he's gonna do on offense um you know it's going to be start from the left wing dribble with his right and then try and do a spin move to the right lower block it's, it's what he's going to do like 65% of the time when he has the ball um but Scotty Barnes what a what a draft pick for you guys just legitimately a franchise player already. I can't wait to see what he looks like in three seasons. It's going to be incredible because the thing is, if he adds like just one thing, this off season to his game. And then the year after that, he adds one more thing to his game because it's already very well-rounded. And he just, every season works on one thing within three, four seasons. Like, shit, this dude is turning into unstoppable. It's like the the, if you watch the growth of Giannis or um, LeBron, LeBron at one point was just like, yeah, if if we can get him to shoot outside, awesome. And now it's like, you got to respect that outside shot at all times because he worked on it. He worked on his low post moves. He worked on, and I'm not saying Scotty Barnes is on the level of those two, but if he puts in the time and commitment he could grow into a superstar. It's possible, man. And you add him to this young core of Raptor players that other teams, their cast offs, it's like Miami, Miami and the Raptors do it better than anybody else. Dudes who are undrafted or second rounders and they bring through their system. They know where the diamonds and the rough are and they build those guys up. And then suddenly it's, yeah, we can get 22 minutes a night from that guy. Wow. This is impressive. Like Boucher. Happens every year with the Raptors, too. There's just like some dude that goes off, and then suddenly that dude goes off 15 times in a season. It's like, I need to learn this name. This wasn't an aberration. Like uh, you know, with Denver it could be Bones. He does this enough more times. It's like, you gotta take Bones Highland seriously. Um so Andres Ortiz says Luca is better than Jason Tatum and Novitski is better than Kevin Garnett. All right. Well, I'm going to leave those. We're going to have that, that discussion on another day. I don't know that Luca is better than Tatum. Right now. Yes. I would take Luca in a couple of years. Although we've been saying that about Tatum for a while, but it seems like he really has turned a corner this year. Um, but just his athleticism, his length, height gives him certain advantages. Although Luca works with what he has better than just about anybody. And his footwork is incredible. Um, but right now, yes, I would agree Luka's better than Tatum. In a few years, I don't know. That remains to be seen. Uh, Nowitzki is better than Garnett. You could certainly make that case. I think that one's a tough one. Because Nowitzki won a championship as the lead of his own team, whereas Garnett was part of that big three, big four, however you want to look at it. Um, And he did well with his uh, T-Wolves. They had one late playoff push, but never made a championship, never won a championship as the lone central figure. So on that regard, like, yeah, you could take Nowitzki, but... Kevin Garnett was a defensive force on top of the offensive numbers that he put up. Um, and just as tenacious as anybody he could get under the skin and into the psyche of his opponents. He brings a different level in complexion, uh, on that front to the game that Nowitzki did. Um, so I'll close out with this. Timothy R. Williams says the Lakers, the Lakers are his favorite thing to watch this season. And he's a Suns fan. Uh, Yeah, I've enjoyed watching it as well. I text uh, one of my buddies who's a diehard Lakers fan uh, after the games to discuss certain aspects of, hey, why is so-and-so shooting as much as they are? And I'm not even talking about Westbrook. Uh, There's another player that uh, I won't publicly, but uh, I've told him numerous times, I really like seeing this dude fail. Just thoroughly enjoy it. And I text him every time he fails, which is a decent amount. Um, And then when he has a good game, be like, Hey, he's got a good one. Look at this stat line. And then I'll go right back to, and I don't know why I focused on that specific player on the Lakers, but I have, uh, it's not, it's not LeBron AD or Westbrook. I will just say that. Um, but yeah, I've enjoyed. I also like it when the Lakers are good because it's good for the league as a whole. So it's not like year in, year out, I'm rooting against the Lakers. Um, but any team where you fully construct like this, and it's just like we're coming into it, it's just like we're going to win a championship. No one can stop us. I like seeing those teams fail. I would rather see uh, Tim. Tim, you may have just guessed it, and I'm not going to say it on the air. Um, I'd rather see a team organically come together or build from within, like Milwaukee, And basically, Phoenix. Phoenix just added Chris Paul and some other free agents, but their core is everybody that they drafted and brought up. I'm a bigger fan of that. You know, with the Bulls, it's just like, yes, we brought in DeRozan and Caruso and Lonzo, but Levine and Kobe White and Pat Williams are ours. And then there's also Vucevic, but they were cast offs from other teams. These weren't Apex Predators on. A whole slew of juggernaut teams now coalescing onto one. Um, I agree with that, Tim. That's why I like watching him fail. For those in the chat, if you want to look, if you want to know what we're talking about right now, that's why you got to watch live. Uh, And anybody watching right now, scroll through the chat. Tim R. Williams, we are simpatico in this regard. Uh, It's all the hype. And none of the payoff. And that's why I like seeing it. Um, but yeah, I text him a decent amount. Hey, look what so-and-so did tonight. This is your guy. Um, but anyway, I think that's it. We're at an hour. I think that's good for today's talk. We're getting closer and closer. So at the end of the season, uh, towards the end of the season, I'll do you know, all NBA, first through third team. And do MVP and then uh probably coach of the year, rookie of the year, maybe defensive player, maybe sixth man, um most improved, maybe. I don't think as many people have an opinion of those, and they don't move the needle as much uh for me on some level. Most improved in and six man. It's like I uh, certain types of players win each. I think most improved leads to good discussion as to what your reward. Um, And I would have, if I voted, I would have a specific criteria that I would, maybe we'll do most improved because it can lead to an interesting discussion. Um, But yeah, that'll be coming up in the next few weeks. So I'll definitely do that. I'd love to hear your opinions once we get to that show. Um, But it'll be right at probably the week before the season ends because that last week before the playoff start might want to talk about playoff matchups, but I got to look at the schedule and see how those weeks line up. Cause it could be the last Wednesday of the regular season. Actually the last game of the regular season is like on a Tuesday and the playoffs start thereafter. I haven't looked at the specific schedule yet. So it makes more sense to do it there and do the all NBA the week before whatever the case is. Um, but, yeah, that's coming up. I always enjoy that at the end of the year. And uh, that is it for me. You can follow me at Matt Nost. Thank you to everybody that joined me in the chat today. Um, and once again, I love seeing the inner chat discussion going on. Um, engagement. and A nice little community starting. That just loves hoops, baby. Just loves hoops, just like I do. And it's nice to see all of you there checking in from all over the world. Uh, so you can follow me at Matt Nost anywhere on Twitter and Instagram. And, uh, if you want to watch along and be part of the chat, head to youtube.com forward slash dropping dimes. So you can find it there every week, Wednesday at 12 PM Pacific standard time. I go live and, uh, it's up for anybody to see and join in with. And, uh, I think that's it. I'll see you guys next week with another edition of dropping dimes. Stay safe out there. See you soon. Adios.